You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. It's Tuesday, and something just dawned on me. Welcome back to the podcast. We, this time next week, will be traveling internationally to do pilgrimage for the first time in like what feels like forever. Sweet. I can't wait. We've got 11 people going with us this yes, year, which very we're exciting. very, very thrilled about. Yeah. And, uh, of course, this is sort of the reset. Mm-hmm. We're happy to be going back after mm-hmm. all the COVID madness and everything that happened with the world, but we're going back, and it's going to be good. The trip has never sold out before. It sold out this time due to car availability, and we had to lock it down and be like, we can't take anybody else, and 11 people going, which is about twice as many as have gone with us before. I think we had seven or eight one year. Mm -hmm. I forget now, but it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people. We're so excited. We can't wait to be there. We've also never gone this early. You realize that? That's true. We've always gone in the fall, so the days are going to be longer. The days are going to be warm. I'm just excited to be there, but you know, because we are so bored. (laughs) <laughs> we decided to have pilgrimage right on top of delivery for season 11 television. So I'll be excited to just not stare at a computer all day, every day. That'll be exciting for me. I know what you're doing on the plane. Just what's this weird world going by? What I don't understand. <laughs> Drool the whole way over to Germany. Anyway, guys, welcome back. Blip shift has given us a very nice call out. The happiness ahead shirt is available in blue. It looks great. It looks really good in blue. I have yeah. it in red, and I really like it, but I may need a blue one. That looks really good. <laughs> yeah, it looks great. Thanks to the Blipshift folks. And you can always find us either at everydaydriver.com and go to merchandise, or you can go directly to blipshift.com, find the partner stores, and find our Everyday Driver store right there, and you can always yep. see what's current. And we're thrilled to offer the merch and, and just kind of keep it going. There's some good turnover going on. Yeah, right we're now. doing a lot of rotation. Keep in mind, if you want happiness ahead, that is only available until this coming Friday. So we're telling you now, get your shirt now before it is gone again. Of course, they will cycle back through, but we're on a, a, a steady cycle right now. So keep that in mind and get happiness ahead while you can. Uh, there's other things going on in technology right now that you wanted to discuss. Indeed. We missed it. Yes. Uh, we, we haven't talked about this. Had, well, you and I have only talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> the announcement has happened. Mm-hmm. But before we get to our topic, Topic Tuesday about the philosophy of cars. Oh, yes. I wanted to touch on Apple CarPlay mm-hmm. because we got a message on Instagram from Ryan H. who said this Apple CarPlay announcement about full dashboard in- integration. Will the app take over the speedometer and other gauges? What kind of impact will it have on car shopping and design? Are we for it? This is a few weeks old at this recording, this announcement, but all it's been at this point is an announcement. Now, Apple has shown off various versions of this gauge cluster as examples, noting the designs will range from traditional looking gauges Mm -hmm. to modern bar graphs. The colors, backgrounds, and dial treatments can be changed as well. And Apple also shared a list of automotive partners, Mm -hmm. including Land Rover, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Nissan, Ford, Lincoln, Audi, Jaguar, Acura, Volvo, Honda, Renault, Infiniti, and Polestar. And and before before we go That's on, a lot of car companies. It's a lot of car companies. I think it's fascinating that Mercedes is on that list. I'm, I'm going to give you guys a frame of reference. Watch our piece. We actually have a, a piece on the EQS that's part of season 11. But watch our test drive piece on the Mercedes EQS. One of the things we talked about is the fact that the entire screen in front of you has multiple screens. From the center right. console, the driver, right. the passenger. There's three huge screens in that car. So what we're talking about here is Apple CarPlay, which we love. Yeah, and I like yeah, yeah. the standardization that it creates of your interface for all of your, your entertainment in a car. I l- actually love that. But, of course, that's always sat on top of, is it HVAC, is it uh, NAV, whatever. It's on top of that for the local car. 
What Apple's talking about is, imagine that EQS on all those screens. You plug in your phone, and now each of those screens can be changed and modified and run on Apple software Mm -hmm. and customized. So you've left the Mercedes interface entirely, and you're now kind of structuring it based on what Apple makes available. And I'm just thinking about that. It, it really struck me hard when I thought about that EQS and all those screens. Sure. And then I thought about example. Apple CarPlay running all of those. And as much as I like Apple CarPlay, I suddenly kind of went, gulp. Really? <laughs> right. Well, problem number one, mm-hmm. it's only if you have an iPhone. Now, Apple CarPlay is for people with iPhones. Sure, of course. Yeah. Android Auto is for people with not iPhones, anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. So that's fine, and that seems to work now. Mm-hmm. But that means... Car companies will still need to develop their own interfaces. True. This doesn't take away the need for them to do that. Problem number two. I see Audi and Porsche on the list, but I don't see Volkswagen. If there's a company that needed help. <laughs> <laughs> New interface. Am I stating the obvious? Uh, Apple I CarPlay stat. Hello? Yeah, that's very funny. Yeah. Problem number three. Every time you plug into Apple CarPlay on any car, it doesn't matter. It all looks the same. True. It looks like your phone iOS, now only on the center screen. Now, I did read this blurb from Apple who said they could change the designs from traditional looking to bar graphs and backgrounds and doubt. Will Apple develop a custom bespoke interface Mm, that mm. looks like the flavor of that car company Mm. for all of these cars? And will they do it different from car to car? Because they're kind of asking for a lot of work here. Yeah, All these car are. companies already make their own interface. Yes, for sure. Or they yes. outsource it. But they, they have their own look to them. And the design team wants a particular look because that's the flavor of the car. You know what I wonder? Based on, I hadn't thought about it in these terms. You're bringing up great questions. But it just made me wonder about this. I wonder if it's going to be an optional extra checkbox when you buy your car. I would like the Apple uh, full CarPlay interface or not. If you don't get it then maybe you get normal Apple CarPlay. If you do get it, then it's kind of a dead brain sitting there, and the phone allows it to wake up and be this thing. Right, but only if you have an iPhone. Don't yes, buy exactly. it unless you don't have Oh, exactly. Have, and, have then, an and then it makes me think about the other thing, which is, and this could be, I suppose, really good. It, are we in a world where you have four cars in your garage, mm-hmm. and, when you cl- and they're four different brands, but when you climb in any of those cars, the interface, the gauge cluster, the HVAC, everything is identical in each car because it's run by your preferences on your Apple iPhone. Which sounds nice. And there might be people who want it that way mm-hmm. because it makes jumping from one car to the next very easy. Yeah, You recognize it. But where's the flavor of that car? Mm-hmm. Short of the badge on the hood, yep. what differentiates your interior experience? Mercedes is all about the interior experience. They yeah. have yeah. publicly said that for years now, and they're right, and they do a great job. Mm-hmm. They are the leaders of interior experience. Sure, yeah. From how you sit, mm-hmm. the controls, the fragrance, yeah, yeah, yeah. things you <laughs> the touch. fragrance shouldn't be on that list, but it's it is with Mercedes. Part of you, right. yeah. you just take this deep breath and like, uh-huh. Ah, I'm in a Mercedes. This is nice. (laughs) So what will differentiate all of these cars and all of these car companies? Mm -hmm. Does that mean the car companies are paying to Apple? Are they passing the the costs along to us consumers? Is there a monthly subscription service? Is there a subscription? Yeah. Okay, fine. Maybe they, they do it all. So the gauge cluster for Porsches has to look 
kind of cool and, and slightly analog because that's our connection to the past. That's our connection to yeah. the old school, the way old speedometers worked. were not digital. They were connected. They were cables right and stuff. The, the stuff was right going the on engines, there. Yeah, essentially. Sure, huh? Yeah. So will Apple acknowledge that? And will be, you know, will trucks be different from cars? Mm. And at this point, let's say it's all true. I don't want my interface in my car to look like my laptop desktop. I don't want the widgets yeah. with the weather and the calendar and the stock market and the, I, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. want something interesting and cool. I don't want it to look like a Nest thermostat with very simple. And here's just a big number. And, you know, and if, you, if your car has a CVT, do we get the spinning beach ball while it waits to shift? Are yeah, we going to? I like that. Yes. <laughs> you know? The beach ball shifter. That's good. That's just does sport mode load. Do we get to watch it load? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah. Begs mm, all these questions. So for sure. I suppose I'm open to it, I guess. But only if these they take into all these considerations. And this is just off the top of our heads. Yeah, you're this right. This is just you're initial right. thoughts. There's so many other questions that will be have to be answered that differentiate the cars from one to the next. Otherwise, who cares what you buy? You buy a car mm-hmm. in feet. Yeah. It needs to be four-wheel drive, 18 feet long. Well, Give me a car, and it'll look like an Apple CarPlay. You know, what's funny about that is I think this is a very subversive way for Apple to take over electric cars without actually having to make one. I was going to say, the whole car thing doesn't seem to be working out because building a car is expensive and hard. See James Dyson and the story about that. Yes, but but think about this, though. One of the only things that really differentiates most, not all, most electric five-seat SUVs right now, or most electric vehicles right now, is the interface. Mm-hmm. How well did you do it? Okay, If you're Tesla, you did it very well, but you limited it to one screen in the center. If and it might change from week to week. Exactly. If you're Volkswagen, we're baffled by it, but you know, you should Where's try Volkswagen again. Where's Volkswagen on this list? Go. They need the but, help. But then, you know, but, but Ford has their bespoke one in the mach and yeah. these kind of things. One of the things that clarifies how easy the experience is in your electric car because the driving has become quite similar among the brands <laughs> yes. is your interface. So if Apple comes along and they can put the same interface in every single electric car, and all the electric cars kind of drive the same, then Apple has backed their way in to being the lead car maker without having to build the cars. They are the interface by which everybody interacts with their electric car, and all of them drive about the same, and all of them work kind of the same, and all of the interfaces look the same, and Apple didn't have to build car one. That is a not exciting thought. But it, but I can see for Apple, as they see everything go software-based in electric cars, they yeah. go, oh, we got this. Yeah. Yeah. But they better differentiate it. They better give me the option. And it can't just be like five or eight of the different skins over the top of the same information. Like, oh, no, we'll see through that real quick. You better put some artistry we'll into the design we'll and see. the graphics. Your brakes are one of the most important components of your vehicle. When they wear out, Don't just replace them, upgrade them. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes and components on every vehicle in every situation from towing to track days. We're talking about bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking with no modifications required. Now, every PowerStop kit comes with all the parts that you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads and rotors and even clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low noise and low dust. I've got it on my 300ZX, and I can tell how little dust is on those wheels. So the next time you need brakes or simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder. We've found kits for our SUVs, our sports cars, and even our cars of the past. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com.
Our topic Tuesday comes to us from Deloitte in Roy, Utah. So he's near to us mm-hmm. about the philosophy of cars. <laughs> yeah. He writes to us and says he commutes to the industrial park just past the airport every day. It's a 41-mile trip each way, and he's put around 60,000 miles in five years in a 2008 Audi TT. Okay, yep. He's also got a Ram diesel for weekend work, which includes hauling family everywhere. Family means his family and yours, from the dump to moving, endless moving, try camping and hauling their toys. <laughs> the truck gets used all the time. Well, I had That's to hear key. that. Yeah. He loves his car. Okay. Like we said, it's an 08 Audi TT. He dreams of canyon curves, and he lives close enough to the mountains that he gets up there in the mountains every once in a while. He's six foot three and fits in great. It's low, but spacious. And 105 miles an hour feels like 80 in this car. Not surprised. Not surprised at all. He says triple digits on a commute is rare, but not as much as it should be. The only problem is he's chasing the dream. His car has a sweet, quiet whisper of a song. He loves to hear it. And he says every person has a personal track they play in their head when they get in their car. And and he clearly, this TT has been awesome. He's not done with it. He's not bored with it. Yeah. But he has that, that itch. That we all do for wouldn't it be cool to have one of, which is where this story takes a turn. The Minister of Finance has signed off on a $20,000 extra on top of this fun car. So he went and drove a 2008 Porsche Cayman and was sadly disappointed. Mm-hmm. With lack of nimbleness off a hard stop in traffic and also the idea of this is not what he wants to pay for this upgrade. Okay, I'm guessing whatever he can get for the Audi. Plus twenty thousand dollars gives us our budget. I suppose, yeah. I mean, that's assuming, yeah. There's she, a bit of a range in there. We're, we're not quite sure, but it's unclear if if the, the TT is definitely going. I think it is, but yeah, there, there, we, we the, think I, it is. We think the TT is going, and he can add twenty grand. But I suppose there's a possibility here that the TT could stay, and we can spend twenty grand. Either way, it's a flexible sure. reality. But the fascinating part here is that here he is, Audi TT fan, goes and drives the car that generally, when put next to the Audi TT, wins. Take a comparison piece. Mm-hmm. The Porsche Cayman almost always beats the TT. He drove a Porsche Cayman of the same year and was like, well, this is disappointing. And I have lots to say on this. We're going <laughs> to get there, Deloitte. Very interesting. Wow. Deloitte is really confused at this point because it seemed like a downgrade. Does he just know his car too well? Or are the tweaks and flaws and his whole philosophy of what he wanted in a car completely flawed? Hmm. He asks a bonus question. If we've spent time in an Audi TT or just talked about it, he could not find very much content from us on an Audi TT. We've never done a video. I drove one forever ago. It's been a while. Agreed. But he says he's listened to recent content and now in 2015 material. Wow, Deloitte. Thank you for writing. You're catching up. Okay, cool. You're wanting to know about your entire philosophy of what you think you want in a car, what you, what you know you want, or mm-hmm. what everybody talks about. Mm-hmm. Well, Deloitte, first off, I'm going to come back to why I think you were disappointed by the Cayman, because I, th- I think I've landed on exactly why you were. And, and, and it's disillusioned you, and I don't want it to disillusion you. Okay. The, the big thing that I, that I want to come back to on why we are everyday driver is that we want that car that you're in every day to be a car you enjoy. So yeah. that circles back entirely to, we've talked about this before, what is the geography of you as a listener? Where are you in the world? If you true, are in Manhattan... True. The car for you might be no car. Might be okay. Ubers. It, it might be no car at all. Okay, <laughs> yes. I, I, I understand that. So, what is the geography and the reality of where you go? How do you use this car? If you only commute, I've said this many times, and I'm going to say it here again because it relates. If I was commuting on the 405, I would not own a Lotus Elise. 
that car would be horrible in that traffic. It would be terrible to do that situation with. Now, if I were living in L.A. still and I had a car to commute on the 405, something like a Chevy Bolt, Mm -hmm. commute on the 405, and then on the weekends, all I did was spend the time in the canyons, I would want my Lotus Elise. Mm-hmm. But how are you using the car? What is your geography? If you live in the straight middle of nowhere, Nebraska, that we just drove through quite quickly because it was just an arrow of road <laughs> for hours, okay, through farmland. It's a lot of asphalt. I'd be shopping Hellcats because, you yeah. know what? Let's get a Hellcat. That's Those run on regular yeah. gas. Let's just get a Hellcat That's and have true. a good day. That's true. So anyway, so, so geography is a factor. Usage is a factor. And what I find interesting here is, Deloy, you have this car that you say you pretty much don't drive on weekends because you're driving the truck. You're driving somebody and something around in the truck on the weekends. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is your commute car, Mm -hmm. and it's been perfect for you. So what I want to say is your philosophy of cars isn't flawed because the reality is you have to buy a car that you are happy to be paying for it, and you like it when you use it. Okay. Yes. That is primary. If you are in the canyons all the time and you – you pretty much work from home. We can shop a different car. You're on freeways in the Salt Lake Valley going from Roy, which is north of Salt Lake, to the Salt Lake Airport every day on freeways. That's how you use this car. So you have to find something that works for that usage all the time and be fun. And you have, you've settled into the quirks of that Audi TT, and you love it. The Audi TT underneath is a GTI. Mm-hmm. Very similar. They're, they're not identical, but very, very similar. Golf okay? platform. Exactly right. And the engine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I suspect, you didn't tell us, I suspect you have the two liter turbo. In we don't know, but quite possibly, yes. And you climbed into a 2008 base Cayman. Okay. The base Cayman doesn't have power off the line. The th- it's clear you didn't take that to a back road. You said you drove it and you were frustrated by the lack of nimbleness off a hard stop in traffic. Yeah, that seemed That is to me. completely playing against the Cayman's benefits because that Cayman is not turbo. You drive a turbo every single day. The Cayman is not turbo, and all of the power and interest of that engine, especially in the base one, is really high in the RPM band. It's true. The only one I can think of that's more extreme is the Honda S2000, which is fantastic in a canyon, but terrible in traffic. Yeah. It's, because it's got yeah. such a high red line, and all of the power is like the last 2,000 RPM up to 9,000. So when you leave a stop at 1,500, you're like, this thing's not good. Mm-hmm. That's the problem mm-hmm. with the Cayman. It'd be terrible in traffic compared to your TT. I'm not surprised you like your TT more. Plus, you are conditioned to all the things about the TT you like. So it's not like you're frustrated and sitting down in something else going, just be halfway decent. You like where you are. Mm-hmm. You got in something, and the Cayman was at its worst. You're, you're judging it based on how it leaves a light in traffic. It's not, I'll tell you right now, it's not fun. And I don't think that that 2008 Cayman has a better interior than your 2008 TT. I bet the TT has a better interior. So now you're going, why would I switch? And in this case, Deloitte, I agree with you. But if you were shopping for fun... Are you going to keep just commuting in that car? Are you going to do other things? What's your philosophy? If it's just going to be a commute car, we have to shop differently than to play to the strengths of the Cayman. Imagine how unhappy you would have been in my Lotus on that test drive. I'll tell you, very unhappy. Yeah, you wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. This is interesting. I love your commentary. I agree with you, too, because I can do traffic in my Cayman. Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest. Mm-hmm. It's okay, but it wants to run. When the PDK is shifting around and like, oh, we got up to 30, great. And it's just kind of raring mm-hmm. to go. I can feel it. And it's just, it'll do low speeds, but it's 
obviously not very happy. You, you mentioned that. Just now, I just thought of this. When we were both still living in L.A. and you had your first Cayman, mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of the most frustrated I've ever seen you getting out of a car, you drove your first-gen Cayman, which was a Cayman S with a stick, yeah, and you sat in traffic for the back part of two hours, stop and go, and you yeah. fell out of that car with your left leg hurting because of clutching and, and riding the clutch to get through traffic, and you hated that car in that moment. I agree. Yes. <laughs> Hate I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not overstating. You, you were like, that was terrible. I mean, it came to life on our favorite roads. Of course. It's great just cruising at freeway speeds. Yeah. But that kind of scenario, yes. Deloitte, designers approach car design in two different ways. They're always sketching. And they'll come up with some cool thing, and they might show it to a manager, and it might come to life. And kind of in the case of the TT, you probably know the Freeman Thomas story. Freeman Thomas being the guy who sketched that original cool sketch. That's kind of how it came to life. But I don't know that Freeman was thinking about what platform it should get built on. Mm -hmm. That's not what car designers think about when they're sketching. They're just just thinking, cool car. I want to drive that. (laughs) Yeah. But then when reality hits and you have to put a package underneath it or put that Mm -hmm. design around Mm -hmm. a package, that's when proportions change dramatically. Mm. It's tough to keep the intent of the sketch and the essence of the sketch and then make the platform, however it's going to be built, work as a business model and not create a bespoke platform for that cool sketch because that's really expensive. Sure, yeah. Many times I was in a critique, calling them crits, okay? Okay. And I had people in the industry come through as a student and we would present, here's my concept, here's why I went, here's my sketching style, you know, here's the iteration through the flow of sketching mm-hmm. and here's what I landed on. And they'd always stop me right there and say, well, why'd you pick that direction? What... Why'd you take mm. that forward into your final design? Look at this little crappy thumbnail over here that is kind of a squiggle and it's part, almost kind of going off the page. There's some essence to those lines. I would have liked to see that be developed. Why didn't you develop that mm. cool character? That Where was that? Interesting. And it's hard to come up with an answer to that. It's hard mm-hmm. to say, well, I just... I guess I didn't see what you just saw. And you were designing for fun and for whatever reason. And you're also you designing for yourself. Yeah. As yeah. a student, you're designing for mm-hmm. yourself. You are the client, you are sure. the end yeah. user. Yeah, yeah. But when you start to have to design for others and a different market, that's exactly what that comment did. Mm. Because that manager or mm-hmm. senior designer mm-hmm. would come through and now they're thinking about their company or they're thinking about people who are going to buy that car. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking differently. The other approach is, hey, we've got this platform. We've got the recipe. We need it skinned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please draw a suit for this. <laughs> Could you wrap this up in a pretty shape yeah, for us, yeah, yeah. design team? That also happens. Hopefully, the package is already good, but mm-hmm. many times you're trying to make something pretty out of what's not a great car underneath, and we all know and have driven cars mm-hmm. like that. It's when you get to an Audi TT where it's a great shape it was groundbreaking it set everybody on its ear and i was in school when that car mm-hmm. got released and it changed and influenced everybody's surfacing mm. everybody drew it differently everybody mm. just started sketching differently wow you can you know enclose the bumpers like that that's amazing yeah yeah and so to build that car and to bring it forward they knew they had a hit on their hands but they also had to make compromises mm-hmm and that's why it ended up on that golf platform and being front-wheel drive biased. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Cayman is completely brand new. 
I'm not saying, and that started life as a boxer. And Grant Larson was the designer for that. And they took it forward. And when they introduced it, they were, they were way out on a limb going, yeah, yeah, yeah. we hope this kind of resonates because we have nine elevens and a whole, not a whole lot else. And we hope, <laughs> I think that was back in Oh three. Yeah. Yeah. We hope this goes forward. We hope people like it. And that carved off for Porsche, a, a new direction. Look at what the came has become now. Mm-hmm. Amazing. But they're two different platforms. They do different things. So when you said lack of nimbleness off a hard stop, we're talking about a turbocharged car that has front wheel drive and it's going to just scrabble for traction. And, you know, and you're going to get up get into, going into and, the meat of the engine almost instantly. Immediately. Yeah. Whereas that came in, I agree. I, I'd be disappointed too. I've been disappointed. Yeah. I know what you feel like. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's yep. not that much fun. You're just kind of rolling, but you're getting through traffic. Can it do it? Sure. Is traffic in a TT going to be a whole lot more fun? Yes. Yeah. And it drives lower, lighter, more nimbly than the golf upon which it's based. Mm-hmm, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the more fun golf, but you give up a lot of practicality. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a downgrade. And if this is what you want out of a car, that's not flawed at all. As Todd mm-hmm. said, if you love your car, the end, keep it forever. Yeah. Try the things. But yeah, for sure. Keep it forever. I love it. But also, I want you to start thinking about what do you want out of your next fun car? What do you want mm-hmm. to go do with it? Mm-hmm. Because there's always the cars that do it all and the cars that seem like they'll do it all. I'll give you the GR Corolla as an example. Okay. And it's a hatchback. It's going to carry four people. Mm-hmm. It's got all-wheel drive. It's pretty powerful. It's built for the track. Looks pretty snorty and angry. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect car, right? <laughs> Maybe. Eh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there, there's other rear wheel drive cars that maybe with less power that will do better on track and feel better to drive. But mm-hmm. what a recipe mm-hmm. civic type R. Holy cow. It does the commute thing. Well, it does the track thing. Well, it doesn't have that rear wheel drive sports car feeling it has a different feeling. Mm-hmm. It's good and it's fast, but it doesn't really do the rear wheel drive sports car enthusiast thing. Yeah. Like a Miata yeah. or S 2000 or name the litany of cars. Mm-hmm. So there isn't the perfect car, but there is one that fits what you want it to do. And if you want that out of your driving experience, blessings. Yes. Agreed. I, I have a couple other things that dawn on me here, Deloitte. And one of them is this. Here are the two vehicles you drive. You drive a small front wheel drive, turbocharged Audi and a Ram diesel. The commonality in both of those is where they feel powerful is off the line. They have tires. No, 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 no. They both feel powerful <laughs> okay, almost immediately off the line. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. What you got into was something that was naturally aspirated and gets all its power up high. Now, yeah. when you wind a car out that has power up high, Lotus, Cayman, you name it, okay? That's 2000s, R86 is not overly powerful yeah. off the line, but it gets more powerful as it goes. It's one of the things they fixed in the torque curve. You drive one of those on a back road and you get up in the top half of the RPM band in a naturally aspirated car, there is nuances to the throttle pedal that I, I, I will die on this hill. No turbocharged car can accomplish the nuance of throttle delivery of a naturally aspirated car in the top half of its RPM band. Mm-hmm. But good, the yeah. flip side is, in the bottom half of the RPM band, you're going, uh, isn't this supposed to be fun and powerful? Hello. Where, where is it? Why, why isn't it here yet? Yeah. Okay? So you have conditioned yourself, Deloy, to things that when the light goes green, they have power almost right away. You climb into any naturally aspirated car with that expectation, short of big V8 challengers and these kind of things, you're going to be disappointed. I know you are. So, But if that's your usage, 
you're not flawed. You're just that matches what your expectations are. But if you are going to be a person that's going to do more back road driving and want to have more nuance in in throttle delivery and this kind of thing, then you can and shop these other things. Yes, you can shop these other things, and you can find ways to love the benefits of that that might not play to your commute. Mm-hmm. So there, so there's nuance here in your usage that I think is very important. And I and I have definitely met plenty of people. Many of them commenters on YouTube, where when we say anything is fun and fast and doesn't have a turbo, their only response is, well, it doesn't have a turbo. It just couldn't possibly be fun or fast without a turbo. It's just, it's it's an impossibility. Big red X, not going to go there. Okay? You forgot the flour in the cake. Yes, exactly. It's cake without the flour. You failed. A sports car without a turbo can't possibly be fun. So what I think you should do, Deloitte, is maybe not buy one, but I really think you need to go drive a couple of generations of the MX-5 Miata because they are naturally aspirated and they are significantly lighter than your TT, whereas the Cayman is not. Get it, car that is lighter than your TT. And the Miata, with the possible exception of the first gen, the ND, which is the current generation, the fourth gen, first half of that generation. Mm. Generally, the Miata has a pretty peppy engine off the line. It's just kind of interesting and fun off the line. Sure. It, it, it ramps up quickly. I'll give you I'll give you the play, Deloy. I think I just now landed on it while we're talking about it. You have twenty grand to spend. You need to shop the Fiat Abarth. The 124 oh. BART that they just came out with that was the turbo engine in the essentially fourth-gen Miata. You'd get the turbo goodness that you're looking for. That's interesting. Rear-wheel drive feel. I think you're, the, the struggle you're having here is turbo versus naturally aspirated, and you need to get into something lighter to feel it. Feel the car feel more alive. That's good. You could, you could commute in a 124 BART all the time and love that car when it's a fantastic Utah day, top-down. Yeah, I like it. Well done. It's summertime, which means it's track season. And if you're anything like us, you're looking for your next track event. And no matter what your skill level, this is why motorsportreg.com is awesome. It's ridiculously easy for you to find and register for track events all across the country. But what's even crazier is you can actually get notices about stuff in an area around you, too. I get those emails, and they're awesome, and they remind me I don't go to the track enough. With over 7,000 events annually, it's the most complete events listing nationwide. And if you're an event organizer, Motorsport Reg will help you fill every event with tools that automate tasks, improve your accuracy, and grow participation, plus a full-time support team who are there when you need them. You can learn more and find events today at msreg.com slash everydaydriver. Ian C. writes to us, as a British gentleman in need of our expert help, our <laughs> expert help. Yes, I like this. And Ian's story <laughs> takes this really weird turn to the middle because the short version here is he's moving from England to California. And you think, okay, cool. That sounds fun. Did you see Ian's work experience? I did. Ian has an addiction to the milky teat that is motorsport. <laughs> And an experience working in that world, too. It's not just like, I like this. This is what I've done. He's addicted to motorsport, driving fun, exciting cars, but he values different driving experiences. Love it. This is so well-written, Ian. It's hilarious to read. His ownership experience is up to 28 cars in his 22 years of driving. Wow. Including such highlights as an original Rover Mini. Those are so... They're, <laughs> those are however, tiny. However small you think they are, they're smaller than that. Those are rider-active vehicles. Yeah, what, however small. I'm telling you. What, <laughs> you, you think, those are little. No, they're littler than that. He's also owned a Focus ST, okay. a Golf GTI, a manual F80 BMW M3, 
And three, count them, Renault Sport Clios. Likes those, apparently, yeah. The current fleet consists of a JDM imported Toyota Velfire minivan. Those are so cool. And yeah, you've seen them and love them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they look like Gundam characters. Yeah, they do. And, and, they, and they're cool. essentially like business class travel for the street. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. He says that floats along. He's also got a Porsche 987 Boxster S, which drives like it's new. Okay. A Renault Sport Clio 197 Cup, which is modified and never getting sold. That apparently is the third and last and latest greatest of his uh, Sport Clios, and uh, that one is a forever car. Here comes the problem. Later this year, he's moving to California from Leafy, England. He spent 10 years of his career working in World Rally for Mitsubishi and F1 for Honda. Remember the Braun team, the mm-hmm. 2009 World Champions? He's also worked for Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, hang on. <laughs> why, do, why on earth would you leave that line of work? He said, well, after being run over twice, set on fire once, and then his minister of finance left that part of the world. He was like, you know what? If she's going, I'm going. We're out. <laughs> the partying needed to stop, he says. <laughs> so good. Now he's nearly 40. Corporate America is calling him. The new minister of finance has been promoted to the board and British Airways is calling him to the gate. What does he buy? The new MOF wants an SUV so she'll get a Land Rover or a Ford or a Chevy thingy for Lake Tahoe trips. Okay. He, on the other hand, will spend his time driving in Bay Area traffic to the office. So he wants fun, but he wants an automatic transmission. It's a commute car in the Bay Area. Yeah. The budget is now up to $22,000. He's been thinking of a Boxster or Cayman or Z4. But we have so many American cars like Camaros and Challengers and cheap Corvettes. He says, don't say MX-5. He's six foot four and will only just fit in a Boxster. You're right. You're, you're completely out for the MX-5. I relate. <laughs> you are right out. Absolutely, yes. Five is right out. He's also seen many cheap Alfa Romeo Julias, which are beautiful. Question is this. Do we buy what he knows in a Boxster? Or does he try something American? Ian, this is really crazy. You've got a brand new life starting. That's what's so interesting. <laughs> Bit of a postscript here at the end. The Cleo is moving back home with his parents until it's 25 years old and can come visit him in California. This is very cool, man. I, congratulations for you on the all-new life. We have, no kidding. We have yes. new country, new minister of finance, uh, all-new cars, New city, new, new, new life, city, all of the above. That's a different experience. It's a living full in the restart, man. Wow, that's crazy. Good what, for you. What you need, Ian, is driving homework. He does. Because what, yeah. I, what I like about this is you are a guy that knows cars. You know what you like. You know what you fit in. You also know that the Boxster would be good. And you're right. The Boxster would be good. So what I want you to do is I want you to put the, the Boxster as like the earmarked car. I'll probably get a Boxster. Just put it Just put it to the side. I'll probably okay. get a Boxster. Okay. And just know that that's there and you can get them and it'll be good and it'll do all the things you want it to do in California and it's got a drop top and yes, Boxster. Okay. Now go drive stuff and see if anything intrigues you enough because what you need, you've had a lot of experience, what you need is some sort of experience that you can't get in the UK or haven't had in the UK. Mm. And you could always come back to the Boxster or you could decide you want to throw all of them out and just get a Boxster now, but you've got to get, drive homework is key here. Okay, okay. Are you thinking American? Are you taking him up on his thoughts? Yes. I mean, look, you, the Julia's in the same Boxster category. I think you know you'd like it. I don't know what you can get for your budget. I'm worried about like, I bought the cheapest Julia and uh, don't do that. But <laughs> and you'll exactly. anger right to us. Exactly right. But, but the Julia, yes, you'd also like it. But you definitely should at least drive the Americana stuff. You must, you must drive a Challenger with a V8. Doesn't have to be. Mm. I'm not saying you're chasing a Hellcat. You don't have the money for it. But a Challenger with a V8 and an automatic, Ian, my friend, that is what a muscle car is. That is the pinnacle of what a muscle car feels like. You're going to sit in and be like, "Why is this so huge?" 
Yes. Okay? And it's going to have power from a stop. It's going to grumble at you all the time. The original Challengers we drove long before the Hellcats were out when they just had Hemis in them. We're still just, this is an American muscle car. So Challenger is top of your list for things to drive. Has to be the V8. You should drive a Camaro of any engine, but with the 1LE handling pack. Okay. Drive that. Okay. If you get an that's SS good. with a 1LE, that's, that's yeah. an excellent car. Big, All the big V8 madness, but all of the great Canyon stuff you could do in a, in a Camaro, and I think you'd love that. Side note I'm going to say about American V8s that you're going to like, Ian. You're going to think I'm crazy. Paul's going to think I'm crazy, but he's going to okay. know I'm right. Okay. You're going to enjoy sitting in traffic in, in San Francisco with that big American V8 giving you air conditioning like you've never imagined. <laughs> you are crazy. It's going to give you this ice-cold, big, burbly air conditioner. You're like, yes. I didn't know I could hang meat in here because this is what American V8s do well. That's they true. They provide air conditioning in traffic. No four-cylinder from anybody can compete with that. You want a fridge in here? It's happening. That is so that's funny. the other thing about V8s. The last V8 that you need to drive is you need to drive as much Corvette as you can afford. And I'm targeting the C6 Corvette Grand Sport for you. Our friend Nate, who does the Cycle Report, has one that he okay, bought. He okay. did the Grand Sport instead of the Z06 because the Grand Sport allows you to still have the removable target top. Okay. That interior is going to disappoint. It's going to disappoint. Get ready to be disappointed. But it'd be really fun on a back road. It's very much an American car. You would like that mm-hmm. very much. Those are my three must-drive American cars. I have some other weirdness, but drive homework for me is those three. And enjoy that air conditioner. (laughs) Telling you. He is not ready for cold air. He's not ready. Of that volume. He's not ready. Yes. (laughs) Ian, I I really appreciate your writing. I appreciate what you're looking for. And I do agree. I want you to have the American experience. I want you to drive these. But with the way gas prices are currently, as of this recording. That is scary, yes. And the commute in traffic, I think if you buy an American car... You're going to hate us. It will be anger writing, hate typing, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) to the guys. And you'll say, what did you do to me? Yeah, it's cool, but oh my gosh. (laughs) I I want you to have the experience. So hopefully you can drive them. Maybe you rent them on the weekends Mm -hmm. or something or rent them once in a while to get the experience. But as far as ownership, I think you're going to be shocked. North Americans Mm -hmm. with the way gas prices are and the open spaces are like, yeah, it's just kind of the way of life and we're just used to it. And this is what we're going to do. But I think you will be horrified. If gas will seem cheap to him though. I suppose so. (laughs) So have at it. Yeah. You know, it's officially all relative. Yeah. Get the John force margarita maker with the leftover nitromethane powered dragster. His wife's going to get like a Tahoe. They're going to be spending money on gas. Yeah. It's going to be all relative. Okay. I I suppose so. I'm wrong about (laughs) gas prices. You're probably already used to gas prices, but you've owned British, American, German, Japanese, and French cars, and you've owned some very fun, nimble, lightweight cars. Yes, for sure. These are not those. They are not those. (laughs) They're the opposite. Absolutely. Think of, I love that Mini, and I love how the Renault Mm -hmm. Sport drives, and Mm -hmm. then they're the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Will you you like it? You're going to be so used to those cars. You've got a Boxster. Mm -hmm. Boxster S is great Mm -hmm. on back roads. I hope the Clio comes with you to California at some point. That would be a cool car to have in California. Yeah, for sure. But I'm wondering if ultimately, because your budget is $22,000, you looked at one car. One oh, car wow. only. Look at you. 
one Mazda to rule them all. Oh, look at you. It's not an MX-5. It is the Mazda 3 Turbo. Mm. The problem is they're not $22,000. They are $31,573. Yes. But I think they're good because they're fun. Mm -hmm. They're still spacious. They're nimble in traffic. And they're automatic. And it's a turbo. Yeah. I think that is your car. That's a good one. And go visit the American cars on the weekends. Just find <laughs> hey, new friends. Turo in San Francisco is going to be your friend. For it sure. will be. It absolutely would be. But yeah. those cars are just over there. Because yeah, I, I'm wrong about the gas price. You have more expensive <laughs> gas than we do. It will feel all relative to him. You're right. But you will be going through it much more quickly oh, yes. with an American V8. You will be... Using up the gas. So will you like that in the in the traffic? Will you like that? I, I, only you can answer that. So my solution is Mazda 3 Turbo for you. I think a Challenger would be fantastic American experience in traffic. Just vroom, vroom. It, well, Meanwhile, you're free. you've got a jacket on. The air conditioner is so cold. I, I'm telling you, it's a thing. You can turn it up. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a thing. This is my, uh, my favorite funny. thing about American V8s is because I, I grew up in Texas. You got to have that big American. They V8 do power that AC compressor. System. They do <laughs> big yeah. time. You're sitting idle, and the four cylinder is going. Please help me turn off the AC. And the V8s like, what's going on? Are you are you tapping me on the shoulder? What's happening? Exactly. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's a big thing. I I That's think good. you good. should try it. I also want to encourage you. Just real quick headline here, Ian. Something we've said to people before. You can have a car for a short period of time. It's true. You can it's buy true. one of these American cars and go, what have I done? And sell it again. <laughs> we'll hear from you. You absolutely can, though. Yeah. I don't want you to feel yeah. like the car you're trying to buy now, you've come over here, you're going to buy the definitive, the, this is my car for America. <laughs> what car is that? I, I don't know. But, a <laughs> Clio? Again, exactly, the Clio. My car for America is the right. Clio. Problem solved. But I'm saying you could buy one of these and decide it doesn't work in a couple of months or six months and be like, okay, I had that experience. Because you talked about how many cars you've owned in 22 years. More cars than you've had years of driving. So I want to encourage you again that can still continue here in the U.S. You can buy something, have it for six months, and be like, that was cool. Time to move on. Now that you're talking about V8s and you want the American experience, mm -hmm. forget cars. How about a pickup truck, Ian? <laughs> How about a V8-powered pickup that is quicker off the line than most every other car? It doesn't handle that well, but if you want to change lanes, just turn on your blinker and just come on yeah, over. Just coming over. You're just Here's coming over. Yes. People will let you in. But you know, if what about wife... a pickup truck? A big honking yeah. pickup yeah. truck. Get yourself a Raptor and, and change the way you drive. Sure. Yes. Or just any V8-powered mm -hmm. pickup truck. That will be unlike anything you've had in England. I think he will have some of that experience, though, if his wife gets a Tahoe. If she gets a Ranger over, it's not the same. Yeah, so if you she don't gets get a, a Tahoe, then you can have the more usable body style and a lot of the American truck experience. That'll be your Chevy thingy. Yeah, you could, you the, could be the there. Yeah, for sure. Mark F. writes to us on email. He says it's a topic Tuesday, but we wanted to cover it because he's been having this debate with a friend. We had the define a sports car discussion. Mm -hmm. We need to revisit that as a part two. But we determined that a sports car was a car that everybody in your life told you that you shouldn't be allowed to drive. You're Whatever right. that means. We were broader you, than the actual definition because you're right. That does work like crazy. Why are you going to buy that? You're going to kill yourself mid midlife crisis again. You shouldn't have that. You're paying too much money. It's red and shiny and too fast for to, you. To this point, you grow up in a family that's only ever owned trucks or big body-on-frame SUVs, and you buy a Challenger. By the way, Challenger, not a sports car. Not, not a sports car, But no. in that world, you bought it. Why did you buy the little sports car? What are you doing? <laughs> the little sports it is car. A, it is right. officially relative, yeah. Mark is suggesting what is a true enthusiast car topic. Okay. His friend's main argument 
is an enthusiast car is a vehicle designed for driving enjoyment as the main goal encompassing vehicles like the 86 Miata, Zupra, Cayman, on and on. Anything that has a dedicated chassis for driving. Yeah, right, right. Although Mark sees his friend's point, he thinks an enthusiast car is simply one that allows drivers to enjoy driving more than as a mode of transportation. He believes this includes includes cars and trim levels built off economy cars like mm. the GTI, the Civic Si, the WRX, the Evo 10, mm-hmm. since they offer more engagement than basic commuters. If, mm. So enthusiast car, Mark, you're saying encompasses, if it's not the pure sports car, that's the next ring out. Or seven total, <laughs> right? There you go, yeah. The seven rings of Easy. Be careful. sports car ownership, Yeah, right? sports car hell. Anyway, moving on, yes. No, I mean, sports cars excellent. are at the center of the bullseye. Then the, one, the first ring out is enthusiast cars, and that's where they are, The I actual definition of sports car, let's go back there. The closest thing to the actual definition of a sports car right now is the Miata. Because traditionally yeah. they were yeah. rear-wheel drive, small, light, two-door, two-seat, <laughs> roadsters. <laughs> right. The MX-5 is right. pretty much the pantheon of sport. By that definition, technically, the 86 isn't. If you really want to okay. get like, like dig down, the 86 even isn't. But it's right on the border of the line. It's like right where the line is. It's got two wheels over into one camp and two wheels off the back end of the thing. And you could even argue if you really want to. This is why the the original definition doesn't work anymore. Because you could even argue on that definition that the Cayman isn't because it isn't a drop top. But the Boxster is. You could even go that far if you really want to stick to the definition. So the definition is blurred. But when you say car enthusiast, you're talking about people that like to drive and enjoy cars. That definition is now very broad. It's like the fourth ring. It is, it is at least the fourth ring. And I do think that these economy cars built into more sporty versions, the reason for the more sporty version is always the thing. Well, we need to sell cars. But the thinking beyond that is always we're going to make a more interesting to drive version of that one over there. And if you like that body style and it works for you and you'd rather be driving it, then you get the more fun to drive version because you are a driver. If you don't like to drive as much, why get the GTI when you can have a Golf? Why? It's true. If you need a, a little hatchback, a German built nicely. Because it was more fun. It had more it, power. But if you aren't a person that cares about the driving, you just buy the Golf. That's a different dartboard, I think. It is a t- totally different dartboard. We're off, off and completely different. <laughs> a different you turned of the around or <laughs> chucked it the other way. It's exactly right. Yep. See, trucks are like in the sixth ring, Teslas Easy. are in the seventh, which Easy. means the Cybertruck is in the eighth ring. I have an interesting answer that I stumbled upon recently for Richard Lindsay, who wrote in. Okay. He's actually one of the people that has rented my Elise. Oh, yeah. He's on yeah, Driveshare, yeah. Haggerty's Driveshare. He's rented it. And. He actually drives a Mini Cooper most of the time. He loved having my Elise for the day. He actually had rented, this is what's even funnier, he was out in this area for a little while. He'd rented a Miata. He got out of the Miata for a day into my Elise. was like, that's a whole other level. Talking about rings. Anyway, but his problem <laughs> with the Lotus, and he's right, he has big size 13 double E wide feet. And so he wears big shoes. Mm-hmm. Please do not bring your big shoes and try to drive the Lotus. It is impossible. As he discovered, he had to take off his shoes to enjoy the driving. And he did. But he took off his shoes all day. He said, what on earth do we do for driving shoes? What do we recommend? Now, I wear the Puma Drift Cats, and I love them. They've been great. They're really good shoes. They work for the Lotus and that kind of stuff. Sometimes those are hard to find. You may not like them. I stumbled upon a line of shoes that actually works because I've told you the story of the local like sporting goods store I was in a few years back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Big wall of shoes, like a block long wall of shoes. And I walked into that area looking for shoes that might work for driving, looking for Pumas, 
Right. Figured they might have them. Right. And the, and the girl came over all excited, like ready to help. She said, how can I help you? And I said, I need shoes for driving. And she looked at me and her eyes got kind of glossy that she went, you mean like for golf? No, I don't mean like for golf. I really, really don't. Oh. So once I explained to her what I meant, she's like, yeah, we don't have anything like that. You know what would work? Wrestling shoes. Look up a pair of wrestling shoes. Wrestling shoes look like the shoes that you wear if you actually have dedicated shoes for your race suit. They have almost good point. no They kind of do, yeah. And they have that kind of soft, hard top look about them. If you're mm-hmm. looking for a dedicated driving shoe and you need to find it at your local shoe store, look at wrestling shoes. It might be more like the sporting goods store rather than a shoe store specifically. No, no, that's but what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah full the, wall, sporting the wall of sporting goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, block yeah, long yeah, sporting right. goods shoes. Then mm. walk when she comes over and she says, "How can I help you?" You say, "I'm looking for wrestling shoes because driving shoes they don't know what you're talking about." Get the blank look. It's that same story that the gal bicycling up to the top. Of, yes, was what was mm-hmm. in East Canyon I over here, know. and we were filming something. And what are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, we're filming a thing about these cars. Like people watch that. People watch that. <laughs> we all turned ashen. <laughs> Just like I started questioning my life choices. Yeah, we hope Tommy L on Instagram writes to us a podcast question or topic. What we think about the fact there are kids learning to drive in electric cars right now who will never drive a gas-powered vehicle. Mm. That well, you just backed your way into another topic Tuesday, didn't you? I think you did. <laughs> How long can we keep that going? Yeah, a while. It's the same kind of thing as kids who grew up in the digital digital age and have never not experienced a phone with camera and a smartphone. Ever shown a kid a record player that hasn't seen one? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I got to do all these steps to hear the music? I could still get the song wrong? <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Just like anybody who experiences an electric car for the very first time discovers the joy of slicing through traffic. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Okay, you grew up learning to drive an electric car and that's all you know? Well, that life skill of learning to shift a manual transmission and having to time mm-hmm. how the car balances. It is what it is there, whether we like it or not, whether any of us like it or not, that's coming. That, that just is. But I think that kids these days growing up in electric cars and driving them might discover older cars and gravitate towards them because of character and because of how they drive, mm. they drive like nothing, nothing like mm-hmm. an electric car. You're right. You're right. Yeah, That's yeah. why they're so beloved. And I keep looking at, you know, Haggerty's articles. I keep looking at the auction sites, you know, when they touch on new generations being interested in the old stuff mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah, all yeah. those old cars, that's why auctions are in the, they're the best business ever because people die. They get rid of the collections <laughs> or their family auctions it off. They will mm-hmm. always have an endless cycle and those cars will always be around. Mm. You are kind of just a caretaker yeah, for some of those good. older cars at this point. So you have a, a responsibility to keep them going, drive them, but introduce somebody who's never experienced those cars to this new thing. Really? You have to shift gears? Mm. What's that noise? <laughs> What's that noise? Is <laughs> very good. I like that a lot. Yeah. Brandon on Facebook is calling me out. Did you see this? I did. Brandon's calling me out. He said a few podcasts ago, I was talking about reliability and said that the experience outweighs the risks of issues with the car based on reputation. He says, excuse me, hand raised. He is a 35-year, meaning he's had one for 35-year, RX-7 owner. Wow. And he has to call me out because when we did our 90s comparison piece, I said that Fear of reliability was the reason didn't pick that car. Yes and no. If you go back to that piece, there were multiple reasons. One of them being I did not fit well. And that will kill a car for me instantly. 
I fit sure. better in my sure. Lotus Elise than I do in the FDRX7. Well, there's also fitting well affects how your your enjoyment of the drive. Completely. You can acknowledge that it drives well, and but it, it, did. it affects how yes. you interact with the car. If you're not comfortable doing anything, but I believe Brandon, and, and and first off, you're right. You're fully right to call me out because I did have my concern for reliability and my concern for that car breaking while I was driving it as a reason that I wasn't go, like <laughs> cozying up to it after I got in and out of it, which was a whole roll in and out of the car thing. I didn't. I've never felt larger than I did in that car. I don't know why, but that was the case. <laughs> so there is that. But I think when we were talking about this, if I remember correctly, the person that was riding in with fear had always had like. Honda commute cars and they were looking at sports cars and being terrified Mm -hmm. because they weren't going to be at every car they were looking at had a thing and they all have a thing. If you're shopping for the car that has no thing that will ever go wrong with it, you just buy a Lexus and move on. Okay. Okay. That's pretty much your list. You're just going to buy a Lexus and you're going to move on. Check. Every Lexus owner ever shows up in every chat discussion ever and just goes, you should have bought a Lexus. Yes, we know. So so (laughs) here is the thing. You have to figure out what your allowance for pain is. And I think I said that at the time, Mm -hmm, every car mm -hmm. has stuff. So if you're shopping just because you've heard about a reputation, you can't discount a car for its reputation. The RX-7 we had came with a list of, keep this in mind, from the owner, and it was the nicest one I've ever seen. Brandon, clearly you have one you love, but I would love to see your list, Brandon, of stuff you have done to keep your car running, because I bet it's lengthy. This owner's list for that RX-7 was terrifying. Yeah, true. And it was pristine. So my level of tolerance clearly doesn't go as far as RX-7. If I fit in one, I might be willing to take the risk. I fit in a lease. I took the risk on that. I know people with leases that are money pits. Mine runs, which is awesome. Mazda 3 Turbo.S is a Mazda 3 Turbo owner. That makes sense. It well does. Done. That's ex- good job. <laughs> they correspond. Recently got a chance to be a passenger in a friend's BMW M340XI. Okay. Acceleration felt super strong after after coming from his car, which isn't exactly slow. Mm-hmm. The engine note was amazing, which led to a discussion about usable power on an everyday basis. Mm. That BMW felt like the sweet spot for everything. Okay. With all the new cars coming in with so much power, especially electric vehicles, does it even matter after a point? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we talked about this a few times? We yeah. have. Another thing is friend's car cost almost $90,000 last year, including taxes and... Wow. All the protection packages from BMW, which is Mm -hmm. insane and out Mm -hmm. of reach for many people. You're right. Yeah, for sure. We've touched on this many times. We work it into our conversations. But power sells. Yeah. People like it. Mm -hmm. And if cars were all the same equal amounts of power, what would differentiate them? The Challenger is one of Stellantis's. The Stellantarians' best-selling car. There you go. Well done. Bravo. The Stellantarians are selling the heck out of the Challenger, and it still sells. It taps into nostalgia and power. Yeah, you're right. And that's what cars do. And power is something that everybody can get behind. Everybody can connect to it somehow and understand the zero to 60, which is also a useless stat, and the power stat. Totally. Those things don't really relate to whether or not the car is any good. (laughs) <laughs> oh yes and if it has, has a turbo or not but this does so i guess it's a good car yeah it really it really does come down to usage and i do think we've talked about it before i do think there is too much power let me let me clarify for people now that are throwing their their listening device across the world yes i am aware that the horsepower number with a comma in it is laugh inducing it's funny yes it's nearly impossible to use 
And that's where the, the dividing line is, is getting your opportunity on a racetrack at a press event or on a back road in the middle of Nebraska. I'm going to keep going there where you can throw it down for a few seconds and be like, see how powerful that is. But in your daily usage, you're never going to touch it, which is why I like these little cars with low power that I can just, I can wrench it all out. The aspirational cars, all the supercar manufacturers have yeah. the kind of power that everybody just dreams about, which makes them aspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steps down, two, three, four steps down from yeah. that. That's still, you know, cars like this BMW have a lot of power that's aspirational. And yes, power for certain types of driving, on ramps, passing. Yes, absolutely important. Cars shouldn't have equal amounts of power. I like that they don't. <laughs> but I think for the future, Car manufacturers are going to increasingly have to tap into emotion. They do now, mm-hmm. but sports cars and emotions around a particular car, whether or not they sell well, mm. still define a manufacturer. And they're going to have yeah. to tap into that as electric electric cars, vehicles, become so good at everything. They're so capable at anything. Yeah. I've got a friend with a Tesla Model Y. Mm-hmm. And he keeps talking. He sees my cam and he keeps talking about a drag race. I'm like, buddy, he will smoke me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, well, up to about 100. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And at that point, we've proven what between us? You're right. <laughs> what have we proven? We've, you're absolutely right. The thing that we discussed came true. Yeah. Let's get a drink. Uh, okay, you know. <laughs> I'm hungry. You hungry? I'm hungry. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> sure. But the emotion of that came in. The way it looks, the way it sounds, the way it drives. I'd rather be that in that car than the, than the Model Y. The Model Y will smoke my car. Oh, of course It'll it will, yeah. Leave it for dead. Yeah. I don't care. But the Cayman still has a good amount of power. It's not like it's underpowered. True. That's very true. Mr. Singleton's got a car debate I'm going to touch on real quick. He, he said it seems like a car debate, but he's just really curious. Would we prefer same about the same money, the brand new Kia Telluride, fully loaded, for about, uh, he's dealing with about $46,000. Or a brand new Ford Bronco, Big Bend. Not quite fully loaded, but close, but same kind of money. So we're talking the all-wheel drive upgraded interior package for forty-six grand. He says he loves the look of the Bronco, but can't argue with the bang for buck of the Kia, which of course is a little bit nicer. This comes down to your usage. Have you Do driven you- both? Because I, I keep seeing them at Cars and Coffee. I see them around Park City. The Broncos are everywhere now. Okay, they are there are a lot of them out there. And I keep coming back to the big thing that we had. It's it's on YouTube and Amazon. We put the Wrangler against the Bronco. A Wrangler Rubicon, and no newsflash, is not small. The Wrangler <laughs> Rubicon is quite large. It feels tiny compared to driving the Bronco. The Bronco is enormous and it feels enormous to drive. Now not bad to drive, but it feels enormous. The Kia Telluride is not going to feel nearly that big. Are you actually going to take whatever you have off road? I would rather be in a Bronco than a Wrangler for just road driving. But if we're just talking only road driving, I'd actually rather be in the Telluride to drive around places and park and deal with and have kids in and out of and that kind of stuff. The Bronco's cooler. The Bronco's a house on big knobby tires. So depending upon your usage, you're going to go off-road? Well, get the Bronco. But I think you're going to find the Bronco, depending upon where you live, difficult to navigate normally because it's huge. Ian, I'm thinking Bronco now. Ian from our car debate. What about a huge Bronco? I mean, they're they're not twenty two thousand dollars. <laughs> We're coming back, Ian. Bronco, like a little Van Halen and some Metallica. Maybe and his wife might find, gets the Bronco. Maybe his wife does get the Bronco. There you go. You both might find parts of your personality you didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. 
Guys, thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate writing to us. Topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and most of all, your car debates to everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. Yep. We're thrilled to be doing some overseas driving. Europe, here we come. It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.